This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 121st episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast, presented by Walt Disney Animation Studios' hit original film, Zootopia, which is Golden Globe nominated for Best Animated Feature. My guest today is a living legend. He is a trailblazer for actors of color, as the first black A-list movie star since Sidney Poitier, excepting Eddie Murphy. He is one of the most bankable movie stars of his time, with a filmography collectively responsible for more than $3.6 billion in box office sales worldwide. And he is both a Tony winner and a two-time Oscar winner. He is, of course, Denzel Washington. The 61-year-old began his illustrious career on the stage and the small screen, before making his name in a series of films that told race-related stories. A Soldier Story in 1984, Cry Freedom in 1987, Glory in 1989, for which he won his first Oscar, and Malcolm X in 1992. In the mid-90s, he began to paint on an even broader canvas, with major parts in 1993's Philadelphia and the Pelican Brief, opposite Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts, respectively, 1995's Crimson Tide, the first of five action movies that he would make over 15 years with Tony Scott, and 1999's The Hurricane, a controversial biopic. And in the years since, he's tended towards darker characters in films like 2001's Training Day, for which he won his second Oscar, 2007's American Gangster, and 2012's Flight, all while periodically returning to the stage, Broadway specifically, most notably in 2005's Julius Caesar, 2010's Fences, for which he won the Best Actor in a Play Tony, and 2014's A Raisin in the Sun. Washington's latest film, the third that he's both directed and starred in, after 2002's Antoine Fisher and 2007's The Great Debaters, is an adaptation of Fences, based on a screenplay written by the theatrical production's legendary playwright, the late August Wilson. For his work as a director and as an actor, Washington is once again the subject of great reviews, and Oscar Buzz. Over the course of a two-part conversation, the first part recorded at the Four Seasons in Beverly Hills and the second part at an office building in Century City, Washington and I discuss how his work as a YMCA camp counselor led him to pursue an acting career in the first place, what the advice was that he was offered early in his career by Poitiers regarding how to select roles and how to conduct himself in public, what he learned from his repeat collaborations with Norman Jewison, Antoine Fuqua, and the late Scott, the important role that his faith plays in his life, his film selections, and in shaping the storylines of the films that he does agree to do, why he's skeptical about the whole Oscar So White controversy, and what the immense challenges and rewards were of bringing fences from a stage to a screen. So without further ado, let's go to that conversation. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mr. Washington, thank you so much for doing this. We always begin by asking, where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for a living? Um, born and raised in Mount Vernon, New York, which is a suburb just outside New York City. In fact, my street that I grew up on, across the street from my house, was the Bronx. Mm-hmm. My side was Mount Vernon, across the street was the Bronx. My mother worked in a beauty parlor, and uh, my father worked for the Department of Water and well, they didn't call it water and power, but he worked for the water department yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in, in New York. In New York, and also a, a minister, right? And yeah, and a minister. And he worked it. He's only had a lot of Troy in him, I guess. <laughs> and he had a night job. He worked for S. Klein's. He was the late night guard or whatever. He worked for the water department, and he was a minister. And were you close with your parents? The reason I ask, obviously, is it will tie in with fences when we mm-hmm. come to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the one thing that I found interesting, just reading past interviews and things that you've done, was that your father was not that big on you going to the movies, right? Because of the religious yeah. aspect of it. You know, King of Kings, Ten Commandments, all good. Yeah, yeah. Not so I mean, I don't remember, like, no, you can't. First of all, it costs money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start there. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, it costs money. <laughs> and so the, the alternative was that you and your friends kind of Created your your own entertainment. I read about your first time sort of performing, maybe around seven or eight, with a with a friend. Is that true? Yeah, uh, you know, when I was six, I joined. In those days, it was called the Boys Club. Mm-hmm. So I joined the Boys Club because the one was built on the south side of Mount Vernon, and uh, yeah, we had a, a talent show. It was actually ludicrous. Chris Bridges, you know, ludicrous. Yeah, of course. Is his dad oh. Wayne Bridges and I were friends. And Wayne and I, we did a little, we acted like we were the Beatles. We were on a little talent show. <laughs> and that was the first. And that uh, was the end of my music career. Yeah, right. So. As, I, as I understand it, your parents got divorced. You maybe started misbehaving a little bit, acting out a little bit. And then your mother was sort of the one that, that really stepped in and gave you some direction. Is that fair to say? That's not bad. But yeah. I mean, when they got divorced, I, I lived with my mother. Yeah. When you're a boy and a teenager and there's no man in the house... You know, the streets can take over. And just like what's happening today, unfortunately, the streets was my, you know, the streets were my father. My, what did they say? The, the streets was, the, I read something that said, the streets are your father and the judge is your mother. <laughs> that wasn't the case for me because I never had to go before the judge, but my three closest friends did. They did. Yeah. How did you avoid it in a way that they couldn't? What was the secret? There was no secret. My mother had enough sense to get me out of out of town and sent me away to, to you know, she scrambled, scrambled, scrambled up enough money, sent me away to private school. Private school. Yeah. And also... Where the real criminals were. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right. man. I was like, oh, they got the good stuff. Yeah, right, <laughs> Yeah, right. man. And then also summer camps and stuff. Is that where acting really tug off? Yes and no. What it was is I was flunking out <laughs> by my sophomore year. And I had done a lot of work with kids, with boys in the boys club. And I had already taken one acting class, which I kind of liked. And that summer, after getting thrown out, I got a job with the YMCA, and I worked at one of their camps. And then we did a little skit for the kids, and one of the guys were like, man, you ever thought about acting? You know, you, 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 you just seem good at it. But understand, I started pre-med, then I went to political science, then I went to journalism. At yeah, Fordham. At Fordham. So I had, didn't find what I was looking for in life. And that's why I told my kids and I tell kids, hey, a liberal arts education is okay. You don't got to know at 18 what you're going to do the rest of your life. Right. But I was actually working my way toward the arts without realizing it. I went from pre-med to pre-law to journalism yeah. to theater. I read about Othello being a big thing for you at Fordham. Is that- yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's where that and I did another play, Eugene O'Neill's The Emperor Jones. And, and I found out I had ability, and people were saying, you, you you know, but because of what I learned in the boys' club, which was your natural ability will only take you so far, that's what they would teach us, I knew my natural ability would only take me so far. Let me tell you an interesting story. So I decided 
I'm going to go to graduate school and study more. There was Juilliard, SMU, this one, that one. Well, I saw the American Conservatory Theater's production of Taming of the Shrew was on PBS. Mm -hmm. And then they did a special about their training program and all that. And I'm like, man, San Francisco, that's, that might as well have been Mars. I was like, I wonder, that good. So I ended up, I got in, I got a full scholarship. I got a full scholarship, I think it was a full scholarship, the ACT. That was 39 years ago. Wow. They, I, get to, I get to San Francisco the night before I'm supposed to register. I had saved up $800. I stayed at the Sheraton Palace Hotel, which was $35 a night. So I knew I had to get out of there quick. <laughs> I said, and I knew because I'm from New York. I know how to hustle. Right. I said, I get a job in a restaurant so I can eat for free. The restaurant, it was called Salma Gundy's 31 Soups. <laughs> And they were right next to ACT, which was the theater program. Well, across the street was the current theater and the Geary Theater. Mm -hmm. The current theater was where the big Broadway shows would come in. At that time, The Wiz was there. A couple of guys, one in particular guy named Ben Harney, used to come in. He liked to come in early before the show, and I'd clean his table, do whatever. And he's like, I see a young man. He didn't know me from a hole in the wall. <laughs> and I'd watched him go across the street. I said, man, one day I'm going to. Mm -hmm. I'm going to play in that theater. I'm going to get in there and do, be like him. 39 years later, last night, last night yeah. they had the premiere. And it didn't hit me until I turned the corner. I said, oh, that's right. It's right across the street. I told that story yeah, up on the awesome. stage. It took me 39 years. <laughs> You've been but busy. I got yeah, I've been yeah. busy. I've been busy. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. You, you understand. Of course. <laughs> so you started to really get a good response in the theater, even after ACT. I'm reading about the New York Shakespeare Festival, and then right. some of the off-Broadway stuff, the the play that won the Pulitzer and inspired Soldier Story years later. But did you always aspire to have a, a screen career? Or was it? Would no. you have been happy to be a theater actor? Well, no, we we were snobs. We, 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 we a screen career. No, <laughs> yeah. we, we're going to do Shakespeare <laughs> right. and make six hundred fifty dollars a week on Broadway. Right. Yeah, that's just the way. See, you know, it. I guess because it wasn't like a dream as a child. My dream was to play football, right. you know, but it wasn't a dream. So it wasn't like I was always, oh, I got to get to Hollywood. It wasn't like that at all. I just sort of found my way to acting. Then I found I was pretty good at it. But I had I started in the theater. So I thought that's what it was. And then also. I lived in New York. This was mid 70s. And they had movies like Mean Streets and Taxi Driver and. I was like, I like those kind of movies, I, that kind of acting. When it came to theater, James Earl Jones was the king as far as for an African-American. I saw lots of plays, but James Earl Jones was like, he had he, done a play, and I, I kind of snuck backstage, really. <laughs> and he, again, he knew me from Adam, and he could see I was curious. Yeah. And he said, you're not? I said, yeah, yes, sir. And he said, well, you can look around, you know. I said, okay. He said, don't touch anything. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> so he had his rings and everything. Right. I'm trying on the rings, and he's... He's the people are talking to him, and I'm like, man, again, yeah. one day. Now the amazing thing is, what was that play? That was that wasn't fences. It wasn't. No. Okay, all that, right. that was say. no. That was Oedipus the King. <laughs> okay, all right. I'll bring you to fences all now. Right. In '87 or '6, whenever I saw it on Broadway, oh, okay. I'm closer to Corey's age. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not thinking about oh, one day I'll be Troy. Right. I'm Corey, and plus I'm 29 right. or 30. Whatever. I'm not thinking like that. I'm like, I'll never be that old. Right. You know. You know what I mean. You know, right. when you're young. So when Scott Rudin brought me the screenplay seven years ago, and I read it, I said, you know, I never read the play. But I'm remembering that performance with James. So I read it, and it said Troy Max in 53, and I was 55. I'm like, well, I better hurry up. I better hurry up. So I, I, I called Scott Rudin, the co-producer, and I, and told him I want to do the play. So going backwards, though, how does a guy who had no interest in a screen career wind up in one? It was the key first thing that you got an agent? No, the key was the first thing was that I was introduced to theater. Mm -hmm. In my humble opinion, that's where you learn how to act. Mm -hmm. Some of the greatest actors of our time are from the theater. The most highly decorated actor of our time probably is Meryl Streep, mm -hmm. Juilliard. Yeah. It was right across the street from me. Right. Not that did anything rubbed <laughs> off, but it was right. I could see it anyway. Right. Right. Stephen Henderson, who's in our right. film now, Juilliard, right. you know, so. So you, you're doing theater, though, but what led to that, to those first film opportunities? I guess really the first film opportunity was 81, Carbon, Carbon, Carbon Copy. Right. Then you had your unexpected foray into TV, right, while doing movies. How do you end up in a movie for the first time? In between that, 
I shot Carbon Copy in 1980, came out in 81. I went back to New York. We came out here and shot in California, came back to New York, and I was looking to get back on stage. May of 81, I get a play called When the Chickens Came Home to Roost, which is about Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad. Did the play, great success, like gangbusters. Douglas Turner Ward, who ran the Negro Ensemble Company, had seen me do it and asked me if I wanted to play this part at Peterson in a new play called The Soldier's Play. So when the chickens came home to roost led to a soldier's play, which led to the movie, A Soldier's Story. While I'm shooting, while we're doing, running A Soldier's Play, two actors from New York got jobs on the TV show called St. Elsewhere, David Morse and myself. And that was my first foray into, into really television. And my agent at the time, Ruth Aronson, God rest his soul, she's like, no, this, this one, you know, because we didn't want to really do a lot of TV, but she said it's 16 characters, it's quality stuff. It was, what is it, Hill Street Blues at the hospital. Yeah. And I, I came out here for a 13-week job that lasted 35 years. Yeah, right. <laughs> six, six, six. Yeah. So, but the reason you didn't want to do TV was you had this idea even that early on that if you're going to do screen acting, film is the no, place to be. No, I can't take credit for that. Yeah. Ruth Aronson... My saw agent that. saw that. Yeah. I'm doing, I'm, I just want to eat. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to sit there and tell you that lie. Right. I just wanted to eat. But she saw something in me that she was saying, I need to wait. I need to, you know, but then she felt, no, I think she was gone before St. Elsewhere. My next agent, it may have already been Ed Lamato. I think she passed. Yeah, I think she had passed. And so Ed Lamato ended up being a very big figure in your mm -hmm. life, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, why... You think he would, would have been the person saying, you know, focus on film? Let me tell you how small the world is. Yeah. Ed Lamato's from Mount Vernon. Ed Lamato's father built the house I grew up in. No way. That's unbelievable. So we had that connection already. Yeah. Ruth, who had passed away, but before when I first signed with her, she introduced me to Ed, and he had this big star named Richard Gere. <laughs> you know, and I think another young guy was coming up named Gibson. <laughs> I'm like, all right, he's doing all right. Right. He's a <laughs> yeah, good guy yeah, to be with. Yeah, he's a good guy to be with. So one other thing that I got to ask you about is that, you know, who were your models? Because there obviously weren't, prior to you, many A-list African-American actors. And so the one that jumps to mind, of course, is Sidney Poitier. And I understand that you had met him early on mm -hmm. and that he had two very interesting pieces of advice, one of them about just how you should select projects, but also about how you should... They Help. see you for free all week. Yeah, so tell me about it because that's amazing. That's a that's a fast, and you've really abided by that. So, well, if you could share what he had to, how you met him, and then what he had to say about selecting projects, and and also how you appear in public. First, it was really James, because it was theater first for me. I didn't even know why I got in, I got into it because they said I was pretty good at it. Yeah. So now I'm studying it, and I'm digging theater, and I'm 20. I'm in college. I'm just studying acting. But now I'm starting to learn about acting, and we're, they would take you go to see plays all the time. It wasn't like we were going to see movies. We weren't. You would be taken to see plays. So it developed that way. That, that's what was instilled in me before I had knew I needed to make any decisions. Now, Sidney was in California. I didn't meet Sidney until he came to see A Soldier's Play. So he saw the play. He before. saw the play in 81 or, may, or early 82, because yeah. I left by April of 82. And he said, hey, young man, you're good. You're good. What did that mean to you? What do you think? <laughs> you, yeah. you know, it's anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew I had something because people were telling me. Yeah. But it wasn't like I was aspiring to be him because I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. yeah. No, not to say it wasn't my thing. It's just. And, and, you know, I don't know, say slowing down. It, you know, the 70s, he started doing more of the comedies, yeah. actually. Stuff. Yeah. And, again, we were just theater snobs. We were trained to be snobs. This was, was the theater. <laughs> we don't, we don't. And was it during that initial encounter that he, he offered these pieces of advice? No, no. He didn't, he didn't lay it all on me then. It, it was things happened over time because when he told me the first four or five movies you make will determine how you perceive, that was already 1986. So you'd already done a couple. Yes, I had done a story. story. I had done uh, Power. Yeah. I hadn't done Cry Freedom because when he told me that, I turned the movie down that I wasn't feeling good about. He said, and to his credit, he didn't tell me to turn it down. He said, but, you know, your first four or five films will be how you perceive. And first of all, he said, look, this is the way you feel. If something's not going to make you feel good, to make a long story long, I turned it down. 
six months later, I got Cry Freedom, which was my first. So number. which had you turned down? You had turned down Cry Freedom? No, 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 no. no, 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 no. A, I, I don't mention the one I turned down because oh, okay, that's I not see. fair to but those. But there was a different that, one that you had turned yeah, down. Yeah, it was a bit of a different but one. But in a sense then, you were already, before he ever told you, be careful you know, about your first projects, You your first three movies, after, if we're excluding Carbon, Carbon Copy, Power, well, no, pa- soldier, pa- story. soldier story and power. power. So I had done those three when he told me. But that. that's so. I mean, yeah, but I hadn't. You know, go Norman Jewison, yeah, yeah, Sidney Lumet, yeah, and then with Cry Free and Richard Attenborough, that's a that's a way to start right. your career. But it was going to be Norman Jewison, Sidney Lumet, and somebody the else. other guy, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So I I, I hear you. And no, then, no, they never made the movie. Oh, it didn't even get done. No. Okay, and then the the second thing that he said though is I really don't want to let go because I think you are one of the few people who have managed to be a major movie star in this era without people knowing all that much about you off screen and I just wonder this seems to maybe stem from that other piece of advice if they see you for free all week they won't pay to see you on the weekend yes that and I'm not a celebrity I'm an actor see me where I'm not a professional go out and be seen you know I don't have to open department stores and <laughs> you know that's not what I do for a living I'm an actor but how do so many other people that see themselves as actors get stuck in that what did you just say that see themselves yeah they're not <laughs> well I'm not saying that they're not yeah I'm just saying what it was for me right. everybody finds their way there and celebrity is different than acting mm-hmm. stardom is different than acting see we were that the foundation was laid down for me the right way the first information that I got about acting was about theater right. and, and learning about uh, Eugene O'Neill and Arthur Miller and Tennessee Williams and Shakespeare. That's the way, that was my introduction. But clearly you had discipline as well. Not everybody can stick to that. I didn't even know any better. <laughs> you know, because of the training, because of the way I came into the business as a, as a theater actor, that's what I wanted. I enjoyed that. And maybe because there weren't any... No, even with the movies, I, there were movies I wanted to be like. I wanted to do De Niro or Pacino or Hoffman. Mm-hmm. That was all going on. I I liked all of that. Now, either I was too stupid or I, I didn't realize, well, they're not making any like that with you and them, D. <laughs> you know, but between whatever it was when I graduated in 78 and St. Elsewhere in 82, mm-hmm. I got jobs. Mm-hmm. When I got St. Elsewhere, between St. Elsewhere and what Sydney told me in 86, I was working. Well, yeah. So, and you were doing all of these early movies that we talked about: Soldier mm-hmm. Story, Power, Cry Freedom, and Saint Elsewhere. While so on hiatuses from mm-hmm. the one that I want to ask you about is Cry Freedom because I understand that that one meant extra to you be, in a sense because you actually went to Africa to shoot this. That was a big thing, and also though, kind of amazingly for for anyone who saw you in that, it didn't necessarily change everything right afterwards, right? Who, who said it's supposed to? Well, but when you do good work, you would think it gets appreciated. It you? did get appreciated. I got an Academy Award now. Of course, but you said also that I didn't get 20 offers right after Cry Freedom. I got one for the Mighty Quinn. That was it. But I was also doing St. Elsewhere. So, okay, so you were fine. <laughs> yeah, I was working. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was working. I was eating. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I did St. I was commuting from Africa. I was commuting from Zimbabwe. Yeah. To, to, to L.A. I was shooting episodes of St. Elsewhere <laughs> while I'm shooting Cry Freedoms. So whenever I said that quote, I must have been in a funky mood. And, you know, no. You know, I, I was I was working. I know I didn't get 20 offers, but yeah. who said I was supposed to? Right. So the next big one would have been Glory, 89, two years later. Well, after, after, let's see, Mighty Quinn. And, and, right. yeah, Mighty Quinn in 87. Then in 88, I think it was an actor's strike. So I went back to Broadway. I did a play on Broadway. While I was on Broadway with Paul Winfield yeah, yeah. and Ruby D, yeah. while I was on Broadway, Ed Zwick came to town having auditions for Glory. And so you got that by auditioning? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How else are you going to get? Well, I don't know. Oh, just, part, hey, here's the part? I, no, they, they were still, you know, no, you had to win the part. So actually what happened was there were two parts, and they said Andre Brower played the other one. And they asked me which one I wanted to do. And Mary Cahoon, who was the casting agent, said, no, play Trip. I said, why? I said, I wasn't sure either. I was either going to do the one Andre ended up doing or, or Trip. She said, I said, well, why Trip? She said, because you play a doctor and you're, but this is so different. That's why I did it, because the casting agent, Mary Cahoon, suggested it. 
you may be sick of talking about this. I don't know. I hope I hope it's not an annoyance to ask you, but the scene in Glory. Oh, getting whipped. Getting whipped, mm-hmm. and then the, the you know the single tear. I think that it probably sealed what was already an, an Oscar nomination worthy performance. Ended up being an Oscar winning performance. But I just wonder, what do you remember of, of shooting that? And did you realize that something special was going on in that sequence? Yeah, the job wasn't done. Yeah. You don't celebrate in the second quarter. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, no, you know. Now they knew that. You know, plus who knew how the movie? We didn't yeah. know how if the movie was going to be any good yeah. or not. I mean. I didn't. I, I was too green to even know. I'm just trying to do my job as an actor. And like I said, it was only the second quarter that when we shot that the movie, you know, nothing had come out. And when we went to we went to Germany for the Berlin Film Festival with Glory, and I got this ovate, you know, ovation. That's really when I knew, whoa, it done good. Yeah. In yeah. fact, we were in Germany. In 1990, because I helped take a little piece of the wall down mm-hmm. when the uh, the Oscar nominations came out. Wow. And you had been nominated for Cry Freedom. Mm-hmm. You get another nomination for Glory. This is two in three years. Mm-hmm. But just... Is that what it is? Two in three years? Yeah. Oh, okay. So to, but to go back, though, just when that... Just because that, that clip will be played forever. Mm-hmm. How did you get to that place emotionally to do that scene? Well, so we ain't got that much time. <laughs> I'm an actor. That's what we do. You know, that's what I do. Yeah. What did the Oscar mean to you? To win, and how did it how did it affect things? I mean, it was all good. I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm in the club. <laughs> you know? yeah. Let me tell you, Cry Freedom. Uh, when, when I was up for the first one, Sean Connery was up yeah. for Untouchables, yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, he came out to present something else first and got a standing ovation. <laughs> I told my wife, I'm gonna go get the coach. <laughs> Because it's it's over. Yeah, I, I ain't winning this one. <laughs> you know. But with Glory, did you Glory, feel you I guess it? it was my turn. Did you suspect that going in? No, and he, even even just as it relates to awards. Remember, or I'll, I'll explain this. Mm-hmm. Soldier stories. People started telling me, but I was I was young and green. I didn't quite get in the club. Sort of like a, not to say he won't get in the club, but like where Jovan is now in our film. Someone They're, else got a nomination for that. Who was it that got it for Oh, Adolf Caesar. Yeah, yeah, Adolf Caesar. Yeah. So I'm like, well, good to know you're in the club. Right. Okay. Then then by Cry Freedom, you know, I get the nod and everything. It's all good. It's all fresh. It's all new. Well, I didn't win. I said, yeah, but I got a free suit. <laughs> you know, I'm going to Governor's Ball, get some of these shrimps and right. stuff they got in there. How bad is it? Ma, you want that centerpiece? Right. We'll take that flower arrangement <laughs> home. This, what a business. And we got a limo. Right. How bad is it really? It's pretty good. Right, right. So then by glory, right. you see it was a process. Yeah. It was soldier story, cry freedom, glory. And, and, and in this business, sometimes you have to wait your turn. You know, right now it's Viola Davis's turn. Right. You know, when I was up nominated for Malcolm X, it was Al Pacino's eighth, I think, nomination. I'm like, man. Because you said you voted for him on that, yeah, right? Yeah, you mean, I mean, how can Al Pacino <laughs> Not have go, Oscar, yeah. yeah, 0 for 7? Yeah. I was already 1 for 2. Right. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of, so speaking of Malcolm X, you, after Glory, did two movies with Spike in three years. That was Mo Better Blues and then Malcolm X. Okay. And... I just wonder, did you know him before? Did you hit it off with him? What, how did no, that he came to see me in Checkmates, I think it was, in 88. And that's where we met. And he had had, no, he showed me a rough cut. He showed me a cut. I don't know how rough it was, but he showed me a cut, a do the right thing. And he talked about this jazz movie he wanted to do. And he was Spike Lee. Yeah. And I'm like, when do we start? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> now, one thing that came up around those years, it's interesting. I mean, it really was crystallized by... Do the right thing. I don't think. I think not getting a best picture nomination and the Oscar that year going to Driving Miss Daisy, which Spike is still ticked off about. The fact though is that movies around that time, including Cry Freedom and Glory, if they were going to deal with race, more often than not, they tended to be through the eyes of the white guy. Yes. Yeah. It was a different time. Looks like those days are over. I'm trying to think of a movie. None that I've been in. No. (laughs) No. But that was why Malcolm X must have felt pretty good because originally. That, I believe, was supposed to be Norman Jewison directing, and then Spike ends up directing it, and it's got to be a totally different thing in a way. Not that Norman, I mean, Norman Jewison... He did has, pretty good with Soldier Story. And In the Heat of the Night, and you know. But do you feel, and this will come back up again with Fences, do you think that when the subject matter deals with, to some extent, the, the, the African-American experience... I've said this, and I'll say it here. Yeah. It's culture 
as much as it is race. Mm -hmm. Scorsese could have directed Schindler's List. Spielberg could have directed Goodfellas. Mm -hmm. But nobody talks, that's not race, that's cultural. Right. You know, the, 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 it's, who knows the Italian American culture better than Scorsese? But Spielberg could have done it. Who knows that, 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 that the Jewish American experience, the Holocaust experience, better than Spielberg? But Scorsese could have done it. Sure. So it's culture. You know, it's so easy just to use the word race right. when sometimes it's culture. It's interesting, though, that do you think it would have been in any way a different movie had it been Jewison versus Spike? Man, man, listen, they're both great filmmakers, and there's room for both of them. Yeah. We don't have to choose. Spike went and grabbed a bull by yeah, one or yeah, whatever yeah. and took it, and God bless him. Go, go do your thing. That performance for you, I heard that you kind of referenced your own father because he was preach. he would preach yeah. too right yeah, yeah. what was it, cadence or what was it yeah it's it's it, it comes from that tradition you know it wasn't like i was playing my dad right. or anything but it comes from that tradition and i had the luxury of all those malcolm x albums and so i just play him and and, and i got to know him so well i could i could talk about anything i talk about this black thing he says he's a black man we're the basis of the table the white man stitches his life <laughs> through ours and he tries to intertwine and take over why is it he speaks through us, just like you and I are sitting here speaking through this black speaker? <laughs> you know, he just, he just, you know, and then all the time, the white man standing right behind you with that light shining on you. <laughs> you know, you could, when he knew the doctrine, he could, yeah. he could stick to the doctrine. We were talking earlier about how Sidney Poitier gave you some advice about picking your early roles carefully, strategically. right. right. Have you continued to think that way or, or, or very strategically since then? I, I came across a quote about the two movies that you did in 93, Philadelphia and the Pelican Brief, and you said, quote, I could see the difference in my career as a result of those two films. There's a lot of people who would never go see Malcolm X or Cry Freedom or Soldier Story, but they'll go see Julia Roberts and Tom Hanks, and they see me and they say, well, he's good too. Talk about just the, the thought process about growing your audience. Right. Well, it, it wasn't a plan yeah. i got those parts it yeah. wasn't like oh well let me i think i'll join julia <laughs> maybe i'll join Tom. you know no they right. came to me and i said yes yeah but in retrospect it was a, a good one-two punch yeah. because what was that 93 mm -hmm. so i'm trying to think well malcolm x i had done yep Go well, gloria i had done mm -hmm. But they were at the height of their commercial powers. What, what, what was Tom? No, he hadn't done Forrest Gump yet. Not yet. But he was coming. You know, he, yeah. was, he was doing good. They were good. They were both great two-handers. For sure. Yeah. For Philadelphia, you and Hanks, I think the, the objective assessment would be that you were co-leads. He, however, went on to the Oscars, got nominated, and, and won in lead. Some had urged you to go in the supporting category, but Ed Lamato had a quote there, Denzel is not a supporting actor. Close is that quote. what he said? Yeah. Okay. Do yeah. you remember that? I don't remember the quote, but, right. but that was his attitude. And I was really, that was, that was fine with, yeah. with whatever. So we went for the acting yeah. and didn't get it. No, the only reason I even mention it is that I, I just wondered if it's, again, from a strategic point of view, it's, I could see how that would undermine the perception. I wasn't, I wasn't as strategic. No. I just listened to his advice then. Right. You know, and, and, I mean, I don't know what the page count was or the word count, but I trusted Ed, and I was like, you think so? He says, I know so. I yeah. said, okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. Yeah. Not long after those those two movies in 93, you started what ended up being, a, I guess, a 15-year run and five movies with Tony Scott. And oh, the yeah, first, yeah. Yeah, first being Crimson Tide, mm -hmm. and then, of course, Man on Fire, Deja Vu, Taking Pelham 1, 2, 3, and Unstoppable. And early on in your career, I was going back and trying to find these early, early interviews. And one at one point, you were not so high on the idea of action thriller type movies. Obviously, your mind was changing. You've made some really good ones. But do you remember the, the thought process about why you first got involved with, with Tony in those well, movies? There were good scripts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there was 10 years almost between the two. Yeah. Crimson Tide was a good script. He had great writing. In fact, Tarantino wrote some scenes. And Robert Town, I think. Yeah and some others, and it was really a good script, and he was good director, and Gene Hackman. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, that. <laughs> and, but there was 10 years between that and, and or nine years between that and Man And are you as at home in the action thriller genre as you are in a drama? Do you feel just as, as yeah, comfortable? Yeah, I'm yeah. an actor, you know. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm an actor. But it's not. But, it, but it's not just the genre. That's not what drew me to it. Tony Scott called me. That's what drew me to it. It wasn't like, oh, I got to go find an action thriller right. genre right now. <laughs> Tony Scott called you and said, I got a, a script that I'm doing. And, you know, he had come off of Top Gun or whatever else he had done at that time. He says, you know, he did Top Gun and, and he has a good script and Gene Hackman wants to do it. <laughs> that's not a, not a hard <laughs> Yeah, point. that's like, I don't know about the action <laughs> genre. I don't know. So, but it was really, as it ended up, there's action, but our part of it was really like a play because we're in the sub the whole time. So it's a, you know, the action outside and the bombs fly. I wasn't there for that part. You know, all the <laughs> sub stuff. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it that, you know, you took away from, from, I don't know if there's anyone else you've done five movies with. I don't think so. Based on that close collaboration with Tony and, and obviously the fact that he's now gone, what would you say you took away from, from those experiences with him? He was just a genius with those cameras. Because we did Crimson Tide, then Man on Fire, it was like a drama in an action or whatever, yeah. whatever you call it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he knew his part, I knew mine. Yeah. We worked well together. I once heard you say, somebody said something like, if, if, if a person could only, for whatever reason, see one Denzel Washington movie, you, you ended up giving two, but you said one of them would have been Man on Fire. Do you still feel that way? And curious I, I don't know. I, I don't even know why I said that. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I know my wife, one of her favorites was Crimson Tide. It might have had something to do with that. Yeah. Man on Fire was one of her, so maybe it had something to do with that. Sure. Hurricane 99, was mm. there ever a more physically challenging part that you had to play? Yeah. Yeah, that was just boxing. But, I mean, what talk about how you prepared Yeah, for but that. I had already been boxing. I'd been boxing for 10 years but before. Just I for did. your own No, person. No, I started boxing on Crimson Tide. So I've been boxing for five years five. because there's a scene where I throw the punches. So I found Mickey Ward. Yeah, yeah. Mickey had a gym, wild card gym, and because I wanted to look right throwing punches at the bag for yeah. Crimson Tide. And I signed up at Mickey's gym, and I met Freddie Roach, a great trainer, world champion. And then my guy uh, that I've been with 22 years, Terry Claibon. I, I worked out today, so I'm still sweating. It's just... <laughs> You know, I hate one. <laughs> so boxing is like strategic, and yeah. you learn, and you get better, and you not that we're punching each other in the head. We don't do that. Shoulders mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. But you can continue to learn from it. So now it's a lifestyle. Had you been looking for an outlet for that in the movies, or was that no, just No, yeah, it was more tr basic trainers before. Yeah. It yeah. really, I, it just, I just went to it because of Crimson Tide, yeah. and then I stayed with it. Now I've done other kinds of training yeah. as well, but before Crimson Tide, it was more of the, like, say, for Ricochet, the weightlifting yeah. and running yeah. and whatever. That was a reunion with Jewison. You guys had done Soldier Story before and, mm -hmm. and other, I think, maybe even one other. But my, my question is, that movie ended up kind of embroiled for reasons beyond anybody's control that was working on it, I guess, but in, in a bit of controversy. Do you feel that that was legitimate, the questions that came up about it and whatever about... I'm not a lawyer, so what's legitimate mean? Yeah. You know, they, listen, people got killed. So I respect their families and, you know, what they got to go through and all of that. So, and I don't know. You just know what people tell you. Yeah. So you didn't have, you're, you're not, I totally didn't read the, yeah, I didn't read the law, whatever. I didn't read the case. But you spent some time with the real yeah, guy, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says he was innocent yeah. and, and they say he's not. Yeah. It's a, we'll never know. Yeah, we'll, we'll never know. So Actually. you've joked that for the first chunk of your career, you were biography man with oh, yeah, Biko, so. Malcolm X, Hurricane, some of these others. Uh, yeah. Then after training day, you were for a little while, you say, bad guy man. You hadn't played many villains before training day. Why did you decide to play this guy? It was an interesting script. And again, Ed Lamato said, we, I went over to his house because we were looking for a director. The script came to us before the director. And he showed me replacement killers. We watched that, me, him, and my wife. I said, this kid can shoot. <laughs> so what had developed over time was I learned script, development of script and all that. But I was working with great shooters, like, well, not a lot of them, but, but Tony. Yeah. So this kid, Antoine, I did my homework. He'd come out of propaganda. He, Michael Bay, Fincher, he could shoot. I said, well, I can act. He can shoot. <laughs> and it felt like a good combination and his ideas, it was more like a lethal weapon script. Guy with checkered shirt and beer bottles in the back. 
And Antoine's take was a whole gangster take. That was all brought by Antoine. And he introduced me to cops. He had so much, imp- he was so prepared. I was like, this kid knows so what he's doing. Yeah. So it was the perfect, it was uh, like with Tony, it was a, an excellent marriage. In the doing of it, would you have ever imagined that this would or could result in Oscar no. number two? No, no? absolutely not. <laughs> nope. Just because that kind of a part, that kind of a movie wasn't their, normally their cup of tea? I think people thought it was just such a stretch. Yeah. So when that happened, what'd you what would you make of it all? And on the night that Sidney Poitier got an honorary Oscar, yeah, too. right, I made fun of it. Yeah, yeah. Do those mean something to you in the big picture? Do you feel is is it a? Some people say, oh, you know, it's a doorstop or whatever they put in their bathroom. Yeah. Right? How do you they, feel? They about didn't it? throw it out though. No, no. <laughs> I haven't seen any Oscar doorstops. Right. People say that. Who has said that? Right. And right. I've never seen it. Right. There's not a doorstop. Not in, in your my house. house. Yeah. No. <laughs> No, it's a tremendous honor, man. I mean, there's only so many people on that list, Very no matter what. And now, I think, I may be wrong now, there were six of, six men that have supporting an actor. I may have changed. Do you know if it's six? I, I have to check. I know it's De Niro, yeah. myself. I think it's Gene Hackman. Mm-hmm. I think it's Jack Lemmon. And Nicholson. And Nicholson. Yeah, would that include me? And you. Yeah. It's pretty that good What did I say? Nicholson, Hackman, De Niro. Yeah. Lemon, yeah, myself, and one other. That's pretty that amazing. Yeah. So, what brought about the the first time you directed was Antoine Fisher, two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did that come about, and and what did you make of the whole experience? That's where I met Todd Black. Where I'd met him before. He brought the script to me. He believed that I could direct. I wasn't thinking about directing. He and he probably brought me the script five years before we shot it because I kept looking for reasons to get out of it. Training day was one of them. I went and did training day. Then I went and did John Q. I think it was training day and John Q. He wanted me to direct Antoine Fisher. Yeah. But I ran, I kept taking other movies to, uh, to, get to put it off. To yeah. put it off. Yeah, yeah. And Peter Rice, who ran, uh, he was a Fox Searchlight, I yeah, think. Yeah. Right. He he caught me. I think with John Q. I think it was John Q. We were up in Toronto for the Toronto Film Festival, and I ran into him. And he has it still. You can find out. <laughs> he made me. I signed a napkin. Saying I will direct, uh, I promise to direct. You can you can track him yeah, down. Yeah, no, I that's bet he awesome. still has it. I'm sure. He I does. promise to direct Antoine Fisher. Now I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> now I have to. And doing it was a a panic. Panic. <laughs> it was more well, versus what you had expected it to be. How was it? Well, that was why it was a panic because you didn't know what to expect. <laughs> you know, the difference between the the difference in the 15 years. One of the big differences was. Now I know what to worry about and what not to worry about. Right, right. You know, then I worried about everything. Right. I'm like, oh, I'm the director, so I got to know about everything. No, you don't. You <laughs> got to put the best around you, mm-hmm. and you got to know what you know and, 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 you know. And we should say that in between Antoine Fisher and Fences was great also the Great Debaters. Right. So obviously you weren't turned off by the experience of directing the first time. I guess not. <laughs> but what, were you itching to do it again, or how did it work no, out the I, second I time? I wouldn't call it an itch. <laughs> More like a sore. No. I, I And I went back to Todd, and I brought that to him. I think it was Oprah Winfrey's company brought it to me, and I said, Todd, you know, help me on this. So I, I was better on that than I was on the first one, or more well, better, more confident, why more, was more the comfortable. Great, why was the Great Debaters a story that you cared enough to tell that it you was, would direct? It was a good, it was a good story, and, and it was just because it was a good story. I, I got to remember what I was doing around that time, too. See, it's interesting because people just watch the films. So they think, oh, he just gotten into action films. But I do plays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So 2005, I did Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I might go do an action picture and then go do Julius Caesar. Just to mix it up. Right. Yeah. So for me, my acting chops, it was action movie Julius Caesar. Right, right. Not, but the audience, the, the most of the uh, people in the world see Action picture, action picture. Yeah, but in between was Julius Caesar. And so what year did you do Fences on Broadway? Julius Caesar was 2005. Fences was 2010. And I did Raisin in the Sun in 2000. I was there. I saw it. I loved it. And then I did Raisin in the Sun in 2014. Oh, yeah. So I'll go back again, maybe 14, maybe, I I already mentioned Scott Rudin, maybe 18 or 19. Do you know what project? I don't know yet. Yeah. I don't know yet. In between... Antoine Fisher and Great Debaters was just a straight acting job, uh, not directing. 
Frank Lucas and American Gangster, okay. a movie that I think— You said was, that was in between what and what? I, I believe it's between—that's 2007. That's between the two first two director jobs. Right. You know, one of your more memorable characters, Frank Lucas, you've met the actual guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you make of that character? He was a serious man. I mean, a serious murderer. You know, serious gangster, real serious gangster. Paid for his sins, but serious murderer. And when you're playing a guy that you have no doubt that in this case that he did what he's accused no, he, of. No, he's, he, well, he didn't, I don't know about what he was accused of, right. but he did a lot of things. Right. <laughs> I mean, so, he was Bumpy Johnson's driver and muscle man. And Bumpy Johnson ran Harlem for Dutch Schultz. So, as Frank would say, I did what I was told. <laughs> and sometimes it was dirty, but as he would always say, it was a dirty business. The heroin business is a dirty business. It's not like... He killed the nice heroin man. Right. Oh, man. <laughs> you know? Well, so when uh, one thing we haven't talked about is when you play somebody that's as dark a soul as Alonzo or Frank Lucas, mm. they can say cut and you can go home and, and you know, have a pool party, or, or does it stay with you? The, in Training Day, I wrote on a script, The Wages of Sin is Death. And the only thing I made them guarantee me is that he was going to die in the worst way. That way I could justify him living in the worst way. Mm-hmm. Frank Lucas, he comes out of jail alone, broken, nobody's there, little state government suit with his box. Mm-hmm. And that was the arc mm-hmm. for me, that this is where you'll end up. Training Day, in their original script, you heard about it on television that he had gotten killed mm-hmm. as we saw uh, Ethan Hawke's character going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, nah, man, I can't. He's got to get blast because he's blasting <laughs> everybody else. It's got to be equal. And th- is the reason for that, because I, I appreciate the fact that for much of your life, and I believe up through now, you faith, religion has been a very big part now, of it. I don't use the word religion. No. That's what man uses. Okay. Re- religion goes, oh, yours religion is good. Yours is bad. Mine is good. Right. Faith and spirituality and belief. I like to use those words. But religion... Gotcha. That's what we put on it. But the reason that I bring yeah, that up. Yeah, I'm always looking, not always, but I'm looking for, a, you know, there's some kind of, what, some redeeming right, spiritual right. journey. Training day, that's why I wrote on the script, The Wages of Sin is Death. Yeah. When I started working on Fences, the play, yeah. I wrote From Hell to Hallelujah. Because one of the first things he says, oh, hell. And one of the last things he says is hallelujah. And so that's, you're doing that to highlight in your own mind. Not art. that he became the good guy. Right. But... He tried everything else, and look what you got. It's just got to be that upward trajectory. Yeah, but he's, yeah. he was stuck on this thing about defeating death and defeating the devil, you know, and, and, and his wife tells him. <laughs> and remember, I covered him. You saw the movie? No, of course. Yeah, of course. he covers his ears, yeah, yeah. and he doesn't want to see, you know. Yeah. That, that, I look for that thread. I haven't been so, without some kind of a payoff mm-hmm. or arc or change, I'm not just looking for the dark side. One of the biggest mis- not mistakes I made, I turned down seven because it was so dark yeah, and yeah. evil. The pit. Worked out for, yeah, worked yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> as you can see, I was right. I didn't make any money. No, he, you know, he, but good for him. Yeah. I, you know, and you've okay. done okay I, without that. Right. Yeah. Right. And actually, then when I saw the film, I was like, oh, it wasn't as bad as, no, what, no. it didn't play as bad as it read. Right, right. One other morally conflicted, challenged guy, I guess you could say, would be your your guy in flight, yet another nomination and another just fascinating character right. that must have been a kind of dark place to go to be that guy right well i did a lot of research and there's a lot of stories and it was another interesting arc and the writer had been through it he was he, and i'm not speaking out of turn mm-hmm. he turned his life around yeah. and i think i'm not speaking out of turn when i tell you zemeckis had turned his life yeah. around so you had two guys who'd been down that road and it was a wonderful script and my agent called and said, Zemeckis wants to I said, Zemeckis wants to do it. <laughs> I start, you know, yeah. maybe the the business side, not yeah. just the bit, forget business, but the I knew because they didn't want to make it for much money. Yeah. And I knew he knew that, but he still wanted to make it. I said, he'll because if it had gotten too dark, eight people would have seen it. It was you know what I mean? <laughs> right, I right. said, Oh, Zemeckis is interesting. Plus he knew the terror the landscape. And I said, he'll make, you know, like the upside down plane, yeah. all oh that stuff. God, yeah. And he did all of that for like $30 million. I guess he called in all his favors or yeah. something. <laughs> he made it feel bigger than. Yeah, they don't even make many mid-range budget movies like that anymore. He made right? a movie for 30, 31 and it made it look yeah. 
So when I heard his name, just like an American gangster, Antoine got fired or whatever, let go. And I didn't like it. And I didn't like, I just didn't like it. Mm -hmm. So there was, I don't know, maybe two years in between or three. Before Ridley. Yeah. And then they called the same thing as my point being like yeah. Semeca. They said Ridley was, I said, what? I'm back. Yeah. No, I didn't say I'm back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I called Antoine. Uh huh. Because I wasn't going to do that to him right, right. without telling him. Right. I said, Antoine, man, Ridley, I said, stop right there, D. Go make the movie. I said, all right. I just didn't want you to read it somewhere. I want you to hear it from me. Uh -huh. He's like, no, nah, man. That's, that's great. Yeah. So Speaking of just budgets and box office and stuff, now that you have, and over the years, building up such a track record of, of delivering people to movies and, you know, that your movies have always made a lot of money. Do you feel any sort of sense of pressure, especially when you take on a one where the budget isn't? Let me leave it at that. Do you well, feel... Put it like this. I have a formula. Yeah. If I'm going out there by myself, like Equalizer, basically, but no, there were no yeah. other big names, 55 million was a good number. 100 million and wasn't. And you can figure that out in your own mind. I know it. I yeah. Experience has taught me. Yeah. You know, if it's a great two-hander then maybe we can spend more. Like a like a Mag 7, you got Chris and the promise of that and Ethan. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, they were supposed to, we were supposed to spend 70-something, but we got so far behind because of the weather mm -hmm. that it ended up being 90. But at 75, let's say, that was a good bet. Do you have one that you feel you, in a way, miscalculated or you misread? Well, no, I learn from those. Yeah, right. Now, sometimes the director... I'm like, hey, man, I didn't know he was going to spend 100 If he right. wanted to spend 100 that's, you know. Right, right. Sometimes the director's the star. He's the co-star. Sometimes the material's the co-star. Right. You know what I mean? Me and Tony and John Travolta in Pelham. Yeah. Now, that ended up going to 100 but it felt like a, I wouldn't have done it just myself right. for 100 But I'm like, well, in a sense, there's three stars. Yeah. I wonder how many other actors are as adept at... I, I, I'm sure that. they do. I, yeah. I mean, I like the business. I mean, when I came to L.A., I was interested in meeting Lou Wasserman. Yeah. Because, I, you know, I'm curious. Did you? No. No, you didn't. <laughs> you know, he, somehow he was busy when yeah. I tried to. Oh, I think no. I eventually did. But. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what is at the root of your admiration for August Wilson, who obviously wrote the play fences and then wrote the screenplay as well? When did he first cross He's your radar? He's just a, a, a Ma Rainey. I saw Ma Rainey in about 83 or whatever it was, and Charles Dutton did this performance, and you thought it was such a nice guy, and then he flipped on a dime, and it was like, whoa. <laughs> so I wasn't thinking that, oh, one day I got to do one of those. Well, maybe I was. <laughs> and then I saw Fences. Mm -hmm. I was like, this guy, you know, he's Roughly a great. Roughly when would that have been? I, I think that was 87, 86, okay. 87, 88, whenever they did it. And then, I, you know, years later, I started seeing some of the other ones. but And you once met him, right? Before yeah, the, I spent a day with him around 2005. He was writing Gem of the Ocean, and I think either through my age, whatever it was, there was a hint of he was thinking about doing something for me. And I went up there to meet him. I was like, shoot. And we spent it, but it, it turned into, we didn't even talk so much about it, like, doing something for me. He never said he was. Yeah. or, But because I asked him, I said, well, what do you do? What's your process? And he was kind of like he closed the windows and doors and shuts the house down and the characters come in and they talk to him and he writes what they say mm -hmm. or something like that. He was just a fa it was a fascinating day with a real, a real. I mean, he is Tennessee Williams and Arthur Miller, you know. Absolutely. And he smoked everything that a writer would do in Seattle. It was raining. <laughs> it was dramatic. Yeah. We're sitting on the porch. He's smoking and and he's he was so it was a thousand miles from literally and figuratively, figuratively for, from L.A. You know, it was a whole nother. I didn't know that was the last time I was going to see him. Well, when he did pass away at a relatively young age, did you ever imagine that you would have a chance to do something in a film that no, he had no, written? No, never, never. Two, what he had passed, I think, in 2005. Mm -hmm. And Scott sent me the screenplay in 2009. I wasn't th ever thinking about Fences because when I saw it, I thought I was too young. You know, because I was more closer to Corey's age. Mm -hmm. So when he sent it to me in 2009, and I said, well, let me read the play. I read it, and I realized I hadn't read the play. I'd seen it. I read it. It said Troy Maxson, 53, and I was 55. I was like, oh, I better hurry up. <laughs> I'm thinking, I, I, you know. So I called Scott, and we did the play, and 
And you did the play as opposed to the movie, then why did you? Because I wanted to do the play. I, I wasn't even thinking about doing a movie yet. But you knew there I, was a I script. Didn't, <laughs> I didn't say I would do the movie. Right. I, I said I want to do the play. So you have previously done a play that became a movie that Soldier's you were play. in. Soldier's yeah, yeah. Play, which became Soldier's Story. Now doing that again. Well, I ain't quite doing it again because this is directing, producing, right? Yeah, even more. Yeah. But I just had a part. Just from the acting point of view, though, does it make your job any easier to have play the part? Oh yeah, no question. It does. Yeah. You, I couldn't have directed it if I hadn't done the play. It's too. It's just a look at the volume of, you know, I was with. And shout out HBO just to let you know. <laughs> I'm not gonna drop any names, but I was with some powerful guys last night that are all interested in Ma Rainey, and I realized which is the one I'm going to do next. Yeah. And I realize you really got to have a good four, almost, you got to definitely have a month rehearsal. Now, we only needed two weeks because we had done the play. But if you're cold, because you can't be ad-libbing and, uh, <laughs> you know, you can't. No. You got to go. When you say ones you're going to be doing next, that you're, I know you're producing, producing all the others. Yeah, producing. Will you act in any no, of these others? No, I'm not planning on it. Okay. Definitely not my Rainey. No. Right. How did you end up directing this one too? Because that that's your, what he asked me to do. But oh, from you, the beginning, you and you, but you're as you say, it's a massive thing just to act. Yeah, in and it. I, but I didn't. When he asked me to, and then I read the play, I said I wanted to do the play. Mm-hmm. We finished the play in 2010. I didn't get back to really deciding to direct Fences until 2014ish. So it was another four years. How Let me much? see. What did I do? I forgot what I did. Did this one feel? More daunting, more ambitious than these other two that you directed Actually, no, before? Because I knew the material. Now, what I didn't know was the other characters. Now we and, and we had to develop, we had to decide, I had to decide where scenes would take place. So I actually, it was a combination of some of the ideas he had put in his screenplay and then the original play. It was basically his material, but I had to also figure out transitions, night-to-day stuff, things like that. And Where would we be when we did this and things like that? Because there's always this nitpicking about plays that are adapted into movies. How are you going to open it up, right? Well, I didn't worry about that. Everybody likes to jump on that bandwagon, and I don't care. <laughs> I'll take the beating. But you did. Because it, in an organic way. Right, right. Not just, oh, we got to be bigger. Right. Uh, do, yeah, I'll do this. I'll hang off the side of the building and do the speech. <laughs> you know. Right. I think that's. I think you have to be gentle with that with him, because you don't want to upset. Like like one of the scenes that took place at the house, I changed to. Well, I forgot where it took place in the screenplay, but I moved it to the sanitation yard, so she came to his job. Mm-hmm. That tweaks things mm-hmm. against Troy because she made the effort to go to him. Right. right. In the play, it just takes place in the backyard. That's so interesting. And any. Anything can change the formula. Yeah, exactly. That's why it actually might feel that he's harsher than he was in the play. Mm -hmm. Because you could lighten it. Because you're further away from us and you're not here, Mm -hmm. now the intensity of it and the hurt in his eyes and things I did, like having him coming in the house and he's just standing there looking. You don't know what he's looking at. And he goes by and you see, oh, he's looking at his mother. Right. Or when she was in the house by herself, she didn't realize he was watching her. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's more room for their inner, you know, you just can't go scene, scene, blackout, scene, scene, blackout, <laughs> like a play. Right. What right. happens in the gaps? Right. Now, when we did the play, uh, that strike one, don't you strike out, was the intermission. But now he, he says that. I go in the house. Bono comes up, taps him on the shoulder. The mother gives him a hug. She takes him inside. Gabe's kind of out there by himself. And then we cut to the ball swinging. Right. So, so in the play, I said, don't you strike out, blackout, intermission. Play comes up, him trying to hit the ball. Lights come up. So you had to, those were the areas to try and be cinematic. Oh, that's very yeah. interesting. As opposed to just a blackout. Can't do that. When you're in almost every scene and you're having to direct this, mm-hmm. how do you do that objectively? Well, it's my third time doing it. I don't even know how to not do that oh but i did get a lot of practice with me not being well there's been practice with me not being in it because in in great debaters a lot of scenes i'm not, not right, in right kids are debating right. i'm not there can you objectively evaluate how do you objectively i don't even know any own? other way i don't worry about my performance mm-hmm. because again 
we did the play, and I didn't want the Tony. <laughs> so all I wanted to do was make sure we all went back to the beginning. And I'm probably sacrificed. You have to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to sit there and talk to myself. <laughs> you know, well, you weren't good. Right. You know, but I'd go look. I'd look maybe one or two takes. Right. And then I know. And same way for them. And I knew we were on the way. Mm -hmm. I know what Viola was capable of. But I, I actually did more quote unquote directing, if you will, mm -hmm. of her, if you will, maybe when in the, after he's gone. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. suggestions, not telling her what to do, but this, we, we exchanged ideas. So we're talking about Viola Davis, with whom you first worked on Antoine Fisher. Yeah, that's right, the cast of Antoine. Yeah, and I just, back then, a lot of people still took her for granted. Now I think they know what she's capable of. Mm -hmm. And I, I just. And she was great in that scene, that one scene. Amazing. Great. Same as Doubt. Just yeah. one scene, one she scene. could come exactly. in and kill it. Exactly. But, and I remember. I knew about her. She'd been winning Tonys and doing great yeah, theater. Right. The, the world had known her, but I knew her. Of course. Yeah. Now, where does she rank among your, your great scene partners? You've talked about... Any of them. Put her name one. So, Hackman and Crimson Tide, Dakota Same. Fanning, Man on Fire, you're saying these are some of the great... Yeah, well... You, you can know, get lost with these people, well, right? Well, great. She, Hackman, I mean, great. Mm -hmm. Dakota was... Amazing, because I was like, she's so yeah, small. Yeah, right. <laughs> she was 10 or I'm so. I'm trying to think, who else was there? There's maybe, there's got to be some else, somebody else. Maybe Ethan and Training Day, I don't know. Ethan and yeah, Training Day, yeah, yeah under underappreciated. Yeah. But I'm trying to think, somebody else was really. Where you buck up. Yeah. Against, yeah. What about when you're directing or acting against young actors now, who you have to know are going to, you have to know that the experience of working with you no, I'm must to, be a little I'm there to support them, not to compete with them. No, I don't mean that. No, but I'm saying, my point being, I'm there to support them. And that's the process through rehearsal and everything to get familiar. You but, know, so, you know, I know he wanted to do well, but maybe he was intimidated a little bit in the rehearsal or... Do you have a way, though, of diffusing that? We had no, Meryl on this no. podcast. And she or was just saying, like, act, there's no one way. You can't yeah. say, don't do that. Right, it, right. We're, we're all actors, and we're here to work. Right. There's no difference. I'm an actor. You know, he's an actor. I'm an actor. I'm just a more popular actor right now. <laughs> but there's no, it's really no difference. Right. All that movie star, celebrity stuff is stuff they call you. That's not what I am. Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's a label that I'm given. Mm -hmm. The only title I use is I'm an actor. Mm-hmm. The last few things, if I may, are just about sort of big picture stuff. The industry and the academy, obviously, right now are in the midst of kind of a tense period. This is after two years in a row of not a single person of color is among it a the tense period. Really? Well, what? I mean, there's oh, a they lot tense. Of, they yeah, feel pressure. Yeah, I think so. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. I haven't talked to anybody about it. No, I mean, it's a lot of it's it's a tumultuous think, time. What yeah, do you? I think that's more talked about and fodder. I don't know that. I don't know. I haven't talked to anybody over there, so I don't know. But the, I guess the root of my question is, do you feel like, just as an observer like the rest of us uh, of these last couple of years, and based on your own experiences with the Academy, is this an Academy issue or is it an issue with the industry not providing the Academy with better options or more options? I don't options? even get into that. Here's the thing. You got to make movies. Tell your own stories. Barry Jenkins made 20 shorts and then he made his movie. Now he's up for it. Yeah. For something. I mean, what what movies were up in those last two years that should have been? That well, that's that's been the debate. I mean, there's some there were a lot of people that felt like, for instance, Idris Elba for Beasts of No Nation or okay. Michael B. Jordan for Fruitvale Station. But straight out of content. But there's always 15 guys. There's going to be five guys this year. Yeah. That don't get in the in the in the loop. So is yeah, it, I mean, where did this where did where did it start? I wonder what the, this, the controversy. Right yeah. Where, who started that? Well, I, I'm just... I'm just curious. I don't know either. Yeah, I, no. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, you say it like, oh, yeah, like somebody, like everybody got together. And well, no, I agree with what you're saying. I don't saying. even know where it... Where it's, you, here's where it started, with, okay. with Selma, where you nominated for Best Picture, but you don't nominate Ava DuVernay or, or David Oyelowo. Yeah, Oyalo. but that happens all the time. Happens all the time. So it's... Your your assumption is not, or your, your gut feeling no. is not Here, that there's the racism in the Academy. Here's the point. It's it's not so just that. You don't want to be nominated just because you're black. Of course. And maybe they didn't get nominated and should have. Maybe they didn't get nominated and shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't remember all the, all the pictures. 
So it's just the that's optics, just the right? name, you know. It's bad optics. Uh, uh, no, it's something that f- for people to talk about too. Yeah. Let's, let's, you know, because if we win a bunch, then they'll say, "Oh, it's because." Right. You see what I'm saying? There's right. always there's always going to be something. We need something. To talk yeah, about. you know, it's it's always going to be something. If you if oh he won because, well, you, you know, it, it, that's just the way it is. You know, people said, "Oh, training day was a makeup award. That wasn't his greatest performance." Well, Santa of a Woman wasn't Al Pacino's greatest performance. <laughs> Nor would he, he argue, right. He, right. So is it racism when you come to him, but then it's racism when you come to, you know what I mean? Of it's course. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, how did he go yeah. 0 for 7? Were they racist <laughs> against Italian Americans? That's funny. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I heard that you take 40 deep breaths before you do a scene. Is that true? Uh, no, 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 no. You just use them. Sometimes. Somebody Some, do something. Sometimes. Not all, it's not like a routine nah. that you always do. Uh, sometimes. You just breathe and relax. You look, relax. You're looking for a way to relax sometimes. I pace sometimes. You know, gotcha. At this point in 2016, as a final question, if, if you know, in case we come back and listen to this or somehow somebody reads it back to you or whatever many years from now, what would you say your mindset, your outlook is right now? How do, where, what's your State of the Union for Denzel Washington in December 2016? How do you feel about it all? Go to the islands and rest for a week. Yeah, you're ready for a break? Yeah, man. Yeah. But you, you can, can, you, can you feel sort of proud of how— Well, you know, I said, you know, Denzel, this might have been professionally the best year of my career. But I had some other great years, too. But mm-hmm. fulfilling— yeah. You know, I, I used to coach kids, you know, in boys club, YMCA. I always like seeing people do what coach my kids and other kids. I like when we win the championship. I'm coaching, I teach them, and they, you know, everything's great. I was there to support August Wilson and to support Viola and the other actors. I concerned myself. I was August 1st, other actors second, me third. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way I am. So I looked at the picture. I, like, I like it, you know. <laughs> and they're great, and I, and I wanted that. And that's good enough for me. I'll, I'll be all right. Now I got another part next year. Then I re- now I'm just tease it, tease it. Now I'm gonna be more. Now yeah. it's just selfish. Now, now yeah, it's back please. To, back to and what's can now, we just inner say city? What? It may be out this time next year. Dan Gilroy wrote it and did Nightcrawler yeah. and great script and uh, putting together a good group of actors. Colin Farrell looks like he's gonna do it. I I hope. So we'll see what happens. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Happy holidays, bro. Happy holidays. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.